You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast, and I'm thrilled again today to have with me my good friend and fellow minister, Keith Harris, who serves as the preaching minister over at the Louisville Church of Christ, just about 20 minutes north of us here at Preston Crest. Keith, so glad to have you back with us today. And thank you, Jacob. I'm looking forward to it and uh, really enjoyed our discussion last week, and I'm looking forward to today's discussion as well. I enjoyed it as well, and I'm also looking forward to our discussion today. If you have not heard the first episode of this series, we are doing, I guess maybe it'll go through the summer, Keith. I don't know how long it'll last, but we're doing a series over the pastoral epistles, which are the books in the New Testament, more commonly known as First and Second Timothy, and the book of Titus. All three of these books are written by the Apostle Paul uh, to two different preachers, Timothy, who's going to be serving in Ephesus, Titus, who will be serving on the island of Crete, and Paul is at the end of his life, and so he's wanting to pass on some great wisdom to two young preachers who will pick up the baton and run with it long after Paul is gone. And so preach, uh, Keith and I are both young preachers, and uh, so we're talking through what it's like to receive these words and what ministry is all about. Keith, I think maybe we should do what we did last week. I'll just go ahead and begin by reading the passage, and then we'll get straight into some questions. Today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, but today we will be beginning in verse 12 and work our way all the way down uh, to verse 20. But here we go, 1 Timothy 1, beginning verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 
Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Keith, Paul begins this uh, passage by saying that he thanks Jesus, who has given him uh, the strength to do the work of ministry. I, I think that's an interesting observation by Paul, that the Lord is the one who gives him the strength to do ministry. First question today, what does that tell us about where our power comes from as ministers? Well, uh, certainly, as we look at the life of Paul and we understand his um, his background, the uh, the challenges that he faced, uh, especially uh, post conversion, uh, after his actions prior to his, his conversion, uh, certainly we know that you know he he faced a lot of obstacles along the way. At least you know building up his own credibility when it comes to, you know, wanting to share or proclaim the gospel. And so for him, um, I think prior to his conversion, um, it would seem that he, he felt that his strength came from God, yes, but it was misguided for him in his own mind and what he was zealous to do. Uh, and so at this point, it would seem in the writing here to be a bit of a digression, but I think it's very important for his overall uh, overall argument, and uh, it's been said that if Christ could change Paul, uh, the greatest of sinners, uh, into an apostle, then there's no limit to his transforming power. And so, we should never say that um, that our duties as a Christian. Uh, go beyond our abilities. God has given us strength, and really, Christ has given us the strength. I mean, Paul would say in Philippians four thirteen, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Uh, and so that that ought to help us in our ministry and in in our service in the kingdom, uh, just as Christians, to know that it's not about what I can do; it's not about my strength but rather it's about Christ's strength that's at work within me. Yeah, those are some great thoughts. And I think just by the uh, basic acknowledgement that Paul says that he receives strength to do his job, that implies, therefore, that this job can make you tired where you need strength to begin with. And I think there's a misnomer among people about, well, of course there isn't, there's this is no thinking this. We know, you and I both know, and all ministers know, there's kind of a misnomer in um, a lot of people's eyes. Well, what do you guys do all day? You know, I mean, what, what exactly is your job? And while ministry may not be physically demanding, like um, doing physical work, ministry is a tiring job. I know, I know, first of all, just, you know, you study for a sermon 
work on a sermon eight hours a day. I don't know about you, Keith, but when I get home, my, my brain's just kind of shot, you know, uh, that's, that's taxing on your mind, but that, that's not what Paul's describing here when he talks about strength. This is an emotionally demanding job. It's hard to shut it off. It's not an eight to five clock in clock out. You worry about people. You worry about, um, their well-being, their faith, their families, you worry about your own family. And so this is not a job that you can just kind of quote-unquote get away or take your two weeks of vacation and turn off your email or whatever it is because you're, you're always worried about the work of the kingdom. And Paul indicates what keeps him going through all of that is, is the strength that comes from Christ. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's extremely important, you know, for us to keep in mind that, you know, the things that that are going to sustain us along the way, even even when we are emotionally taxed, when we are uh, mentally drained, um, when we face challenges, much like, you know, Paul faced in his ministry of, of people not convinced that he had changed, um, you know, strength to be able to accomplish the will of God is that that strength is given to us by Christ so that we can, in fact, accomplish his will. Um, interestingly enough, here in this in this verse, verse 12, where he says that uh, that his strength uh, was given to him or has been given to me. Um, that, you know, again, is a past tense Mm-hmm. verb there that uh, that shows Paul's understanding that something took place in the in the past for him and I'm convinced that that took place you know after uh, he was on that road to Damascus as we talked about last week I'm convinced that during that time um, where he was uh, awaiting um, you know his his sight to be restored and and awaiting word as to what he ought to do and we see him immediately go and begin proclaiming and proving that Jesus is the Christ I'm convinced it's in that moment that Christ gave him the strength and I know that uh, as God's chosen instrument or, or the chosen instrument of Christ to proclaim salvation I know that God understood um, the ability that the just the ability that Paul had, um, but also I think he understood his zeal and his dedication as well. Right. Uh, and but again, back to the the idea of strength. Um, if 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 we're going to accomplish the tasks that God puts before us, He doesn't expect us to do that in our own strength, and we ought to always be thankful that. He supplies that strength that we need to go on day to day, um, and not just in ministry, but uh, but really in in all aspects of life as God is blessing us and helping us along the way. But particularly here with regard to what Paul has to say to Timothy, obviously it's dealing with ministry or service in the kingdom. And uh, you know, for Paul, very personally in this passage that you just read for us. Um, it, it very much deals with his day-to-day ministry. Um, but I think this says a lot to, um, you know, just to the Christian in general, that as we are called to 
um, make disciples, um, there are challenges that we face with that, especially in our world today, that require a great deal of strength. Mm-hmm. And it's such a blessing to know uh, that Christ provides that strength that we need to accomplish his will. Yeah, absolutely. And if we depend on our own strength, we won't just burn out, but we'll we'll eventually fail um, and fail in a big way. It'll be a painful falling. Um, so after he talks about God giving him strength for his service and appointing him, considering him to be faithful, he goes back, looks over his over his shoulder in the rearview mirror of his life, and uh, kind of brings up what I put in the questions, Keith, his rap sheet. Um, he says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was, I was shown mercy. And he says in verse 15, he was the worst of all sinners. So why does uh, Paul, writing to this up-and-coming preacher, why does Paul, as his mentor, take the time to say, hey, I've done some pretty terrible things in my life? I think he may do that just simply, um, well, one reason would be just to simply identify with people, um, and, and I think with Timothy maybe too, because Timothy may have uh, been in a situation where he was uh, you know, experiencing some doubt and, and, and struggle, whether or not he even wanted to continue in ministry. I think that's why Paul is writing to him, because Paul understood that you know, Timothy was facing real challenges that no doubt were causing him to question, is this really what I need to be doing? Maybe I should do something else. And, and again, at the beginning, as we looked at last week, you know, Paul says, hey, remain there. I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain, uh, remain in Ephesus, remain there, you know, um, just trying to get him to to see that importance. And so maybe it's that Paul, at least one one reason might be that Paul is wanting to identify with him and allow him to know, you know, hey, um, I, I I was once in a position where uh, I was challenging who Christ was and and challenging those who were professing faith in Christ so much so that I was violent in the in the way that I went about uh, challenging them, um, and and so. Um, you know, the, the words blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent is the phrase that's used. Um, you know, a violent person. Um, I, I think he uses this to say, if, if God can transform me, then he can transform anyone. And Christ is at the heart of that. So when he met Christ on that road to Damascus, his his life was forever changed and it was um you know maybe not instantaneous though sometimes we think of it in terms of that um we forget that there were um you know three days where uh he was blinded and and you know before he uh obeyed the gospel was baptized and so there's a little bit of a process that he went through it wasn't just a an an automatic oh well i've seen the light and so therefore i'm you know i'm immediately changed though we see that transformation occur but it's over a a period of a few days now if we look at it more of a process i think you know paul again this is my opinion but paul sharing his rap sheet as it were 
to say, hey, the power that Christ has, His grace, which He'll mention in just a moment, His grace, His mercy, um, the transformation that He can bring to your life is evident in me. Mm-hmm. Look at my life. Look at where I was at. And look at the mercy and the grace that Jesus had for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and He would say that He counted me worthy to, to be a minister, right? You know, to, to proclaim the gospel. So uh, I think you know, just the idea of him using his past to promote what Christ can do, I think that's the important factor. Yeah, wonderful thoughts. And, um, you know, Paul often does point to himself as an example, both for good things and bad things. Because <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 11, he'll say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And as you so well pointed out here in First Timothy one, he said, "Hey, look who I was and what God did did with me. Look at look at that example." So um, he's constantly wanting to relate with people and use his life as a springboard for people to get closer to Jesus and do greater things for Him. Um, I love how he talks about how patient. Jesus was with him, and he, he talks about a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That that phrase, this is a trustworthy saying, Paul uses that phrase five different times in First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. Here's a trustworthy saying, something that you can hang your hat on. But he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Verse 16, but for that reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example. There that is again, him being an example. As an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So, if we step outside of Paul's example of how God was patient with Paul, Keith, how does God display unlimited patience in the transformation of people today? That's a really good question. Um, you know, God is long-suffering, thankful mm-hmm. for that, and, and so many passages explain to us about the long-suffering of, of God um, and, and I think that as we as we see people going through a transformation, as they face struggles, as they um, are coming to faith, and, and even after they have put Christ on in baptism, they continue to grow and, and understandably uh, continue to struggle with um, you know various aspects of their former life. Um, you know, we see um, other examples, not just of Paul, but other examples in Scripture as well of God working with people and helping to shape them and guide them along His path. And and one of those um, that that we mentioned also was Jonah. You know, you think about you know Jonah was um, you know he was a, a believer uh, in God and in God's power, but when he received that call, we see him. Um, kind of, you know, going in the opposite direction, as it were, and uh, and then God, uh, through His care, which seems odd, but through His care, um, 
provided for Jonah to be safe in the belly of that great fish uh, and then provided him that opportunity to follow the path that God had laid. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just one simple example that we see in Scripture. There's, there's many others, but I think for us today, um, you know, when, you, when, when we see people struggling and we, and, and we uh, interact with our brothers and sisters, when, when we ourselves struggle um, and we plead with God to help us or, or to, you know, uh, to continue uh, providing to us His grace and His mercy— He's always there, and and why he does it, I'm not really sure, other than just the simple fact that God loves us more than we can imagine, and because of his love, it compels him to be patient with us, long-suffering. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to perish spiritually, but uh, he wants us to have life through Jesus. And so um, I think because of that, uh, God is going to provide us with every opportunity that that we need to to be able to follow His will yeah. for our life. And yeah. That, to me, is a display of His patience for us. Well, the fact that any of us are not just struck down from heaven with lightning on a daily basis is yeah. phenomenal. Um, you know, how many things just in one day we do that God has told us not to do. And we so often don't even realize we're doing it. You know, we just become so accustomed to it. Um, and the fact that any man, any human being can step into a pulpit on a Sunday and speak on behalf of the almighty, holy, perfect God and creator of the universe, knowing how sinful his life is, I think is a beautiful recognition of the extreme patience of God mm-hmm. and we have a tendency to forget because we become proud and arrogant and we think that well if we're in ministry then we are just so passionately following Jesus you're you're talking on behalf of the holy almighty God and you have not lived a holy life <laughs> this week throughout the entire week. Now, you've made some really good decisions, but let's be frank, you've made some poor decisions, but God still lets you be his spokesman. Right. Um, you know, we're harder on people than God is on us at times. Organizations very carefully choose who's going to be their spokesman, and then you have one failure, and they go find a new mouthpiece because they don't want the liability of you representing them. But we have failures all the time, and God still lets us represent him. Um, Very well said. Incredible patience. Now, carrying that over to people, and that's the second part of this question I just mentioned, we're not good at that. God gives us so much patience, and then we're ready to write someone off um, after one offense. So, Keith, what does this teach us about dealing with people and having patience as people are being transformed and growing and being shaped and molded into a better version of who God wants them to be. I mean, I think it has to, it has to impact the, the way that we are patient and gracious and merciful to people around us. I mean, one of the, and one of the things that I would remind us of is just very simply when we are encountering uh, a brother or sister who, um, has has done something or said something that's requiring us to to 
express patience with them as they work through that. Um, we have to remind ourselves that you know God is extremely patient with us. Remind ourselves of our shortcomings, very much the way that that Paul was doing here in this writing. Um, I think that's one of the ways that that Paul um, continued to have that knowledge of the patience and long suffering of God was because he was um, self condemnatory and and you know identified himself and understood himself in his former life as being a blasphemer and a persecutor. He understood exactly where he was and exactly how much God was patient with him through that and led him to the point that he wanted him to be. And so for us, dealing with the people around us, it, it's I think it's vital that we remind ourselves that God has been extremely gracious and merciful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not perfect. God is patient with me. I ought to extend that same grace, mercy, and patience to the people around me. Right, right. And there is balance here because at, on on the one hand, we had to be extremely patient. On the other hand, there is an expectation for growth. And later on in the book of First Timothy, you know, Paul will tell Timothy, okay, here are the qualifications for both elders and deacons. And he says these these people need to be people who have proved themselves to be advancing in the faith and in their spiritual maturity. And he even says before they go in, they first uh, in in context he's talking about um, deacons. He says they must first be tested. So you can't just let any person serve, as the uh, old saying goes: the cream often rises to the top. But even that cream is a little bit diluted. It's not 100% pure. Um, it's still being worked on by God. Uh, the master potter, he's still working on the clay. And uh, we have to be patient. Even with people who are great examples, they're going to fall. They're going to make mistakes. They're not always going to speak as Jesus would speak or think as Jesus would think. And that's just, that's just part of life. What I do think is interesting, though, Keith, is after he, after Paul talks about, okay, I was a wreck, um, I was a mess, God gave me mercy as an example. He then talks about some other people later on this passage who they're, they're big wrecks. In fact, he uses the word shipwreck to describe two of them, Hymenius and Alexander. And specifically, verse 19, he says they have rejected um, the teachings of the faith and they have shipwrecked their faith. Even though we're supposed to be patient, even though um, we're supposed to understand that life's a process, Paul tells Timothy these two guys have shipwrecked their faith. Why, why does Paul use that word shipwreck or that metaphor? It may very well be that given the you know, the area and the vast amount of uh, shipping and transportation that was done um, with ships and the amount of shipwrecks that they would have seen or experienced through their life, uh, certainly Paul uh, you know, talks to the Corinthians about the fact that he was shipwrecked, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and so that may just be an imagery 
uh, for Timothy that um, that he could understand. Okay, there's a you know a ship is uh, is something that can carry you safely through until it doesn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and for I think you know for them and and considering the coastlines and the challenges that the the various storms created. I mean, look at the gospel accounts and. Uh, the times that Jesus and, and his disciples um, experienced, you know, the storms on the Sea of Galilee, even. Uh, the idea of shipwreck would have been something that would have been very easily understood. Uh, and to shipwreck your faith means to essentially destroy your faith or um, to to be in a position where there's no longer that security or that safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's a... a, a a good imagery or a good metaphor for Paul to use uh, with regard to the faith, because if we're not careful, the storms of life uh, that we experience and uh, maybe the, the struggles that we bring upon ourselves through our choices can, um, can create a storm that causes us to experience that shipwreck. As mm-hmm. it in, in, interestingly enough, as he um, mentions this, as you as you um, began this this thought a minute ago, after explaining about how patient God was and Christ was and gracious and merciful and that sort of thing, he mentions these guys that have shipwrecked their faith. I think it's important too, just kind of going back on what we were talking about a moment ago, um, where if if we see um, a brother or sister who uh, is continually uh, acting or uh, reacting in ways that are not appropriate for a follower of Jesus, I think we have that responsibility to go to them and, and address that with them. Um, we do so in a loving way, uh, speaking the truth in love, as, as Paul would say, but I think there are times, much like we see here, and we'll uh, probably talk about this in just a moment but you know there comes a time where we have to say enough's enough Mm -hmm. you know and we do so not from the perspective of uh punitive damage toward them but rather um we do so from the perspective of mercy right want them to grow and to learn and so um you know paul mentions these two and just says that they've shipwrecked their faith a metaphor that I think would have resonated um, at least in Timothy's mind and as well as the others that are uh, present. Yeah. A couple of things on that that I thought about. One, now I'm, I'm not a ship captain. Um, only boats I usually get on are cruise ships or there are all you can eat buffets, you know, but um, my understanding of <laughs> maritime law and uh, just practice most people don't get into a shipwreck without seeing warning signs first. You know, even the Titanic, they knew, hey, going across the mid-Atlantic, trying to get across it this quickly, in the wee hours of the morning when it's dark, there are going to be icebergs all out here. It's not the wisest decision. And the Bible will talk about the concept of the lighthouse. A lot of our old hymns talk about lighthouses that warn ships hey, you're getting too close to land. It's going to get shallow. There's a chance 
you might run aground, you might shipwreck. In faith, um, there are warnings, there are boundaries presented to us in Scripture all the time. If you live this way, if you make this choice, this is what is waiting for you just around the corner. You're going to run aground. There's going to be a problem. And so a lot of people, before they shipwreck their faith, I think they knew either they were going down a dangerous path or the danger was ahead showing them that, and they, they ignored the signals. What is encouraging to me about the concept of the shipwreck, uh, Paul does not say here that Hymenius and Alexander have drowned yet. Hmm. A lot of people can survive shipwrecks. They can swim to another boat. They can get in a lifeboat. They can swim to land. Uh, just because the, the boat shipwrecks does not mean you're immediately going to die. But hmm. it certainly puts you in a more dangerous position than you were in before. Um, it is interesting, though, that Paul does say, I've handed them over to Satan. <laughs> the same guy who said we should be patient because God's been patient with us, he says, I've handed these <laughs> I've handed these guys over to Satan, which at first blush, I'm like, Paul, did you forget about what you wrote literally seven sentences before? But right. what do you think he means there um, that I've handed them over to Satan? I think, again, this, uh, like I was saying a minute ago, I think what Paul is saying here is not in the sense of punishment, um, but rather, um, and, and some people throughout history would suggest that, that he's talking about excommunication. Mm-hmm. You know? um, it may be that. Um, it, it could also just simply mean um, putting them outside of the area of the church, so to speak, so that uh, they are now in Satan's domain. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's not um, for the purpose of punishment necessarily, as so so much as it is, I think, mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people would say, "No, how how can you say that? I mean, if you're you know handing somebody over to Satan, surely that's that's not about being merciful." Um, but in a sense, it is because uh, when when people who have experienced faith are are suddenly without that support group of other believers, they realize, hey, this isn't where I need to be. This is not the place that I want to be, um, and, and that causes them then uh, to turn back. Um, and so I think that's really at the heart of. Paul's intent here. Um, again, uh, Hymenius and Alexander are not very um, well-known individuals, right. but we do see them a couple of other times in Scripture. At least some have suggested that we see them. Now, there's not a great deal of evidence to, to suggest that it is, in fact, the same Alexander or the same Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus is mentioned, um, uh, again, in 2 Timothy uh, 2, verse 17. Um, Alexander, the name Alexander is, is mentioned in Acts 19, verse 33, as well as 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 14. Um, the challenge, I think, of, of seeing this statement from a guy who, as you said, seven, seven sentences ago was talking about patience, grace, mercy, um, is to remember that this is not punitive. Right. This is intended for mercy and growth for them. 
Um, and I think probably the reason that we may have so much difficulty today understanding that or grasping that is because um, the church really, over the past few decades, has uh, fallen short in in this area of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that may create additional challenges for us to really grasp the intent of what Paul is saying here. Yeah, I'm under the impression as I look at this that he probably is describing the process of withdrawing them from fellowship, um, similar to what happens in 1 Corinthians 5. And I love what you said there. This is not done to be mean. This is done out of love. Um, I looked at one commentator today who phrased it this way, Paul did not want to get rid of them. He wanted to teach them. And I think that's a good way of looking at this. And if you look at what happens in 1 Corinthians 5, when they withdraw fellowship from this man for sexual sin, it appears as if in the second letter of what we call 2 Corinthians, which very well could have been the fourth letter back and forth between Paul and the church at Corinth, but in what we call 2 Corinthians, it appears as if that worked because he will allude to this gentleman or this situation, and he will use the terminology um, the punishment that was inflicted upon him was adequate because it appears as if this gentleman who at one time was said, you got to go, came back to God. He was readmitted back into uh, the fold there of the saints in Corinth. And so I think uh, Paul is writing this much after he writes the books of Corinthians. This is definitely more toward the end of his life he could be thinking the same process for Hymenius and Alexander. I've handed them over to Satan. In other words, I've said, you don't need to stay in Ephesus, but I hope, I hope that this will teach them and that they will come back. Unfortunately, as you noted, when we get to second Timothy chapter two, verse 17, Hymenius is still, um, still doing his thing and it's not working just yet. How did you, you said Hymenaeus? Yeah, Hymenaeus or Hymenaeus. Hmm, I like Hymenaeus. Different emphasis, yeah. My wife, Suzanne, makes so much fun of me because of how I pronounce different foods. And, (laughs) all right, I think she's probably right. If you look at it phonetically, she's probably right. But I've always pronounced Asiago bread, Asagio. And she goes, first of all, that sounds nasty. And secondly, there's no way that's phonetically correct. How would you pronounce, is it Asagio or Asiago? I've always said Asiago. Well, that didn't help my case, Keith. But Asagio just kind of sounds that, that does not sound very appetizing. I agree it does not sound very appetizing. But Hymenaeus or Hymenaeus, uh will let either either way, either I have way. no idea the, the correct pronunciation, but anyway. Yeah, it is interesting because it does feel like well it it is. We are reading someone else's mail here. So it would be like, you know, you and I sending each other a letter talking about someone in either one of our congregations that we both know. But um, even though we don't know who these guys are, readers 2,000 years removed from the incident, we understand what he's trying to say is these guys, they've shipwrecked their faith, and apparently they're still treading water. They haven't died yet, but but they're not in good standing. They're not in a safe, well-structured vessel. They are very soon could be lost at sea. Um, and you don't... One of the... 
Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, I think one of the important factors following that statement of him turning them over to Satan comes at the end of verse 20, where he says that they may learn not to blaspheme. Right. That ought to tell us that this is not something that he's using as punishment for them, per se, but rather instruction and with the hopes that, as you said, uh, as they continue to tread water, that they will find safe ground again. Mm-hmm. And to your point, we haven't done this in recent decades in the church. You and I are too young to have witnessed it as adults, but you're right. I mean, um, it takes courage and boldness and conviction for churches to work with members who are heading down the wrong way and go by the biblical pattern. You warn them, you warn them a second time, and then eventually you take it to the church, or Titus says you you withdraw. Um, that takes courage. There's a lot of hurt feelings, but what's harder and what's worse, taking a stand, hoping that they change, or saying nothing as they continue to walk closer and closer uh, to hell? <laughs> or, as, or as Paul says here, shipwrecking their faith. I mean, yeah. how much do we love them not to say anything at all? Right. And potentially their actions and, and our inaction um, could lead others away as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time that, that I can recall experiencing a, um, a disciplinary action uh, from a church to an individual, Lindsay and I uh, had gotten married that Saturday. We flew to... Um, LA and attended the service that Sunday morning um, with the Santa Monica Church of Christ and they were uh, disciplining a member that morning Nice. and the elders and, and, and it was a long process of them explaining and discussing and talking um, to the congregation and uh, that was quite an experience for us but uh, it was, you know, I look back on it and I think, you know, they obviously had been working with this individual and, and it, it wasn't helping. And so they were, they were doing what I think scripture would teach us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the outcome. I haven't heard anything from that congregation since we were there that day. And, uh, <laughs> but that, that's the last time. And again, that was, that was, you know, 20, 21 years ago. Yeah, my, my dad talks about something like that. This would have been 30, 35 years ago, but he had bought some uh, cars somewhere out in Indiana, I think, and they were on their way back through, and this was before he'd married my mom. It was just him and his parents and uh, relatives. They were bringing the cars back, and they stopped at a very small little church somewhere in East Texas and <laughs> came in, and they were disfellowshipping someone that day. And he said, you know, one of the church leaders came up and said, we well, all sure— Y'all sure come back and visit us. <laughs> like, well, I don't know if uh, if we'll be coming back. But, yeah, I mean, that is awkward for just to stop in and this fellowship be taking place. Um, it's hard, but it's certainly, we talk about wanting to be biblical. At times, it has to happen if we want to be they, biblical. And I appreciated the, the elders of that congregation because they were very loving 
uh, and and they were adamant that their hope and their prayer was that this individual would return. Right. Uh, right. And that ought to be our prayer for for those that um, that we see that are shipwrecking their faith. And you've made the point a couple of times. I think is a great point. This is not disconnected from the patients he was talking about a few verses later. We don't really know how old Paul was when he was converted, but he was certainly not in his twenties. You know, there, there, it was a process, and I'm sure Paul grew tremendously from his first missionary journey to when he's writing this toward the end of his life. God continued to work on him and continued to mold him, and we can't we can't rush that. Um, that's part of the process. Well, Keith, I sure appreciate you uh, joining us again today for this conversation. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Any final thoughts as we sign off for today? I just hope that we can, as we um, read Scripture, as we think about um, the things that God has preserved for us, that, um, that we remind ourselves of His love and His grace and mercy for us, and, um, and that we appreciate the way that I think Paul does all that God has done for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we do that, we, we set ourselves up for um, an, an increase in our maturity, in our faith, uh, in our growth process as a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, just simply remembering how far God has brought us goes a long way. Amen. And how far we still have to go. Very well said. Well, Keith, glad you were with us. If you've been listening to this today, so glad that you've joined us for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. As always, we hope that you will keep your eyes on heaven, and we look forward to talking with you next time.